Well, kind of the big idea for today, as Jesus is continuing his um, Sermon on the Mount, is we're going to go heart deep with this. We're going to go straight to the heart. Jesus is not going to hold back. He's going to be honest about what sin is, where it starts. It does not start with our actions. It starts in our heart, goes to our mind, and then it comes out in our actions. Even when we're good at hiding our actions, much like the Pharisees were in their day, there was still sin in the heart. And they they maybe perhaps didn't recognize that fully. So Jesus is going to clear that up for all of humanity, for all of time, for us here now. We get to understand that sinful thoughts and intentions still break the purpose of the law. Even if they don't result in physical actions of sin, they still break the intent in the heart of the law, which is God's heart. Now, Jesus is trying to communicate that the requirement is perfection. He's going to be very clear about that. It's not be really good, it's be perfect, right? So the requirement for um, the goal, which is heaven, is perfection. And it requires a perfect heart as well as actions. What this should do for us as a body today in this day and age is urge us to take the action of heart and mind discipline. We should be intentional about disciplining our hearts and our minds, not just our actions. That should be an action we take, is actually disciplining our hearts and minds. That's what it should do for us. Yes, those actions matter. Acting out in sin, it matters to discipline that. But God desires so much more from his creation. And that's the attitude we need to come to this with today, is that we are his creation. What he is asking of us is what he designed us to be specifically. That's his plan. That's the whole thing. We are his creation. He knows. He's correct. Now, I grew up in a generation, I should say I grew up under a generation um, that liked to say, and I used to hear this in the workforce before I got into ministry, I hear this all the time, look out for number one. I got told that by so many older guys and gals in the workforce. Look out for number one. You take care of you. So many times I heard that. So unsurprisingly, my generation took that to heart and says, I'm going to one-up you. I'll do whatever feels good, whatever feels right. Now, if you've read Old Testament, you'll know why I specifically said, whatever feels right to myself, the Jewish people constantly in the Lord's will, and then next chapter, boom, and then everyone did what felt right in their own eyes. That's where we're at. That's where America's at right now. This is my generation, millennials, which are actually, they're turning 40 this year, so we're not exactly the new generation anymore, but uh, Gen Z's following suit, also doing whatever feels right in their own eyes. This is the track that America's on right now, and it's probably been going on since before me, but this is what I remember, so this is what we're getting. But whatever feels right, whatever feels good. So my generation might be offended, um, not might, my generation is offended at someone who, uh, you're laughing, I don't even have to say what, you're like, yeah, your generation's offended all the time. We see it on Facebook, we see it on, <laughs> it's everywhere. Y'all are offended. Uh, <laughs> but they might be offended by someone who says that this is what your heart is supposed to follow after. That there is a standard that your heart is to follow after. That there is an all-powerful being that desires your heart to do this 
And they might say, who are you to tell me what's right for me? My generation will tell you that all day. Without the Lord, I'd be telling you the same thing. That's where I'd be. So I have a better question for my generation. Who are we to deny God Almighty, creator of the universe that you're sitting in, one little speck, not visible compared to most anything in the universe by metrics, who are we to deny the creator of the universe who was there when the foundation of the earth was laying, the one who fixed its dimensions, the one who stretched a measuring line across it, the one who supports its foundation and laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. If you're looking for a slide, I apologize, Carson, this is not up there. The one who enclosed the sea behind doors when it bursts from the womb, the one who made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, the one who determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, the one who declared, you may come this far, but no further, your proud waves stop here. The one who commands the morning and assigned the dawn its place, the one who is all the power of the Lion of Judah, the one who stepped down, became son of man, and spotless sacrificial lamb is worthy to ask for your heart. That's what I have to say to my generation. He is worthy to ask for our heart. The one who tore the veil, granting our hearts re-entry through one simple and open gate is worthy. He is. For those of you who know me, I was like, oh, I'm just getting theatrical this morning. What's going on? Well, Wednesday I was with YWAM and they wore off on me. I got, <laughs> <laughs> that was a blast, by the way. If you guys missed Wednesday, YWAM came and did a conference. It was awesome. There was people recommitting their hearts to the Lord and um, it was very special. Love you guys. That was awesome. <laughs> But theatrics can serve a purpose, and today the theatrics um, are not just theatrics. If you're, if you're looking at those words and saying, that's a little theatrical, well, guess who said them first? God did. <laughs> I'm just quoting Job. Like, this is what God said to Job, and it was a little theatrical, but they liked to do poetry back then so they could memorize massive books like Job, and that's cool. And I like to say it because it has a purpose. It grabs our attention. And the attention that we need is to understand that our hearts is what God wants and he's worthy to ask it. We're crazy to deny him. It's ridiculous he allows us to deny him. The fact that he gave us free will and allows us to say no to him is crazy. Now he'll, he'll finish his work in the end. If you say no to him, you can say no all the way to your death. Eventually he's going to judge you. That's going to happen. Because he is just holy, righteous, and true. We're going to give our hearts to something or someone. That's just a fact. We're all looking for something to give it to or someone to give it to. But there's only one who stepped out of heaven and sacrificially offered salvation to us for us and everyone we've ever loved. If he wants our hearts, he is worthy to ask it, and who are we to deny him? 
I'm actually going to read this morning's passage um, all the way through for us, and I actually encourage you to do something a little different today. In the line of theatrics, I would like to read it to you, and what I want you guys to do is actually sit and picture Jesus in his day over the water, Sermon on the Mount, preaching this to a group of people, and just picture in your minds, if you will, as I read this to you, what he is trying to communicate to those people and to us today. I want you guys to listen to this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Jesus' words to his crowd at the moment and for all humanity, all time, for us right now, and for however long he tarries. Verse 20 was um, covered last week by Mike, and I read that to you too, because it, um, it also is the proper context we need for this morning. This is the proper context we need to have when we're coming into this passage. Um, for those of you who may, actually, I just realized some of you may not even know where we're at. Matthew 5, <laughs> Matthew 5, um, I'm going to read through verse, uh, starting with verse 20, but um, the context from verse 20 is, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, the most religious people you would have found at the time, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. That's the same thing as saying, no human's ever done it. Basically what he said. The most religious, the most carefully guarded humans to act the best, never done it. Never successful. Not getting in the kingdom of heaven off their works. Haven't fulfilled the law yet. The goal is heaven, and Jesus says it is unobtainable unless your righteousness, notice that he doesn't say actions or faithfulness, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the zealous religious elites. That's like being told that in order to get your driver's license to go drive your car, you need to be able to outdrive Lee Petty, Ken Block, Speed Racer, Anakin Skywalker, and Ryan Arnold in a race. (laughs) You'd be lucky... To not finish last. Forget winning. You're just never going to get your license. He's got a Dodge Charger. It's quick, okay? (laughs) I had to look up, like, I don't watch NASCAR. I was like, who's Lee Petty? Like, I had to look that up. 
Ken Block, that's from a millennial friends. Speed Racer, uh, that's like a cartoon or something. And then, of course, Anakin Skywalker is a space dude, so he's like really fast. But the point is, you're not getting your driver's license. You're walking to work. Because <laughs> you haven't passed the test. You're just not going to get your license. Now, he's purposely not limiting righteousness to any one aspect of our lives. That's because he's setting the stage for the heart of or the intention of the law itself. That's what he's setting the stage for. The heart or intention of any law ever given, like the ones we have today, um, is the heart or intention of whoever is giving the law, right? So somebody had to come up with the law. They had to have a reason for it. It was in here. It was in here. They had a heart. They had a mind for the law. That's where the intention is. So in a very real sense, the heart or the law is God's heart. The law is literally God's heart. The laws he gave us, this perfection that he gave us, is his heart for creation, his design for creation. Jesus is about to suggest that the heart of the law is actually obedience of our hearts and intentions. That's what God wants. It's not enough to fix all of this. He wants us to fix this and this. That's what he wants. That's what God wants from us. The best way to give your mind and actions to the Lord is actually to start with the heart. We want to start with the heart. This is something that uh, Mike talks about often, and I love this analogy. He talks about um, where the heart goes, the mind and actions follow. That if you gain the mind, you don't necessarily gain the heart. If you gain the heart, you gain the mind. It goes in that way. It goes that direction. This is true. We know this to be true. Um, we see it in everyday life. There's been studies about it. You can get someone to say or think just about anything, but if their heart isn't there, it's not going to stick. Okay? So I made a simple graph um, to illustrate that idea this morning. It should be up on the board there, three lines for you. Actions are surface level. This graph won't make sense, so I'll explain it, but it's pretty to look at. A polite wave to a new struggling driver, for instance. And I'm going to tell you a little story. There's a little story <laughs> that Mike actually said a few, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, um, of some sin in my heart. And it's a true story, and I told him about it. So, you know, let's put it on display, I guess. So at a very rushed day, when I'm very behind, I go to pull out of a gas station, and there's a person in front of me um, who is stopped, and I'm like, why are they stopping? I look around, there's a person from there, a person from there. There's this whole line. I'm like, why are we stopped? There's no cars coming. Uh, and then I see all the way up the front, there's people actually driving around this person who's stuck in the exit. They're driving around this person, and they look totally annoyed. People are waving their hands in the air. People are driving around to other exits. People are getting so angry. Now, I discipline my actions. My actions... Um, have progressed a fairly good distance, right? And you'll see on that graph, the top line, pretty good distance for whatever good means. So if that person looks back and they're uncomfortable, I'm going to be like, oh, it's okay, yeah, nice wave. I'm not going to flip them off. I'm not going to honk my horn. I'm not going to screech out of there. My actions are great. But my immediate thought was, are you serious? That was immediately my thoughts. Immediately I was like, are you kidding me? And then I see... <laughs> I see the car go, 
I was like, oh, they don't know how to drive stick. <laughs> Dang, man. Now, a few years ago, I might have actually been annoyed at that. Like, Come on, you don't know how to drive stick? I've been driving a stick for like 10 years. Come on, dude. Like, that might have been my mind. I've disciplined myself a little bit since then. And I can actually say, thank you, Lord, because Lord's changed me. I actually had compassion in that moment. I was like, oh, man, that's, that's embarrassing. That's tough. I get it. And then I sat there and I thought, man, what if that was like one of my youth kids? I love my youth kids to death. If that was like Katrina, for instance, learning stick, and she's lurching, my immediately heart reaction would have been, compassion, probably would have prayed for her that she wouldn't lose her nerves. I might have gone over there and been and helped. She probably drives great stuff. I don't know. I'm just saying, as an analogy, <laughs> I probably would have gone and helped her out because I love her. And here's this person who's lurching, total stranger to me, but they're not a total stranger to God. They're not a total stranger to their friends and family. So I felt really convicted, felt really bad, and um, got my mind right, and um, prayed, asked the Lord to forgive the sin in my heart, and, um, and then they pulled out, and I followed them, followed them out, and um, all the way to the next stoplight, which is in Rathdrum, which is a decent ways away, it's about a 20-ish minute drive, I'm sitting there, I'm feeling on top of the world. You think I had caffeine, but oh no, it was the Holy Spirit. I'm like beaming. <laughs> I feel so good. I'm popping. Feels so good to get that off my mind. So good to get it off my shoulders. So good because I, I like see this peace of God where He cares, and I'm trying to turn my heart to it. And it was really refreshing, and I was really excited about it. And then I get to Rathdrum, and the light turns green, and the car in front of me just stops. And I'm not kidding. My mind went seriously. <laughs> I was annoyed again. I was like. And then I had to I immediately, I'm like sitting there like, wait a minute. And then they lurched. And I realized, it's the same car. I didn't even notice it was the same car. They're lurching again. They're still uncomfortable driving a stick shift. And I was like, how in 20 minutes did I go from caffeine high on the holy freaking spirit <laughs> to judging this person in my heart again? That's how. My mind changed. My heart didn't change. Actions are surface level. You can be really polite to somebody. You can make your actions look so good, so clean. Mind is a little bit deeper than that. You might give a nice smile and wave, but you might be annoyed inside here. And then you might realize that you've got a problem up here. You might want to change but then when you're faced with it again, your heart reveals that your heart's still the same. So you'll see on that graph, the heart line is about this big. If your mind is up here, these are totally fake numbers, but you get the idea. If your mind is up here, and your actions are probably up here, your heart's probably down here. Now think of this in the reverse. Here's the encouraging thing. This is why God wants your heart, because when your heart moves that much, your Mind moves that much and your actions move that much. You make this much progress in your heart, your whole life radically changes. Just a little bit of heart change. It's no wonder God wants your heart.
My clean heart won't stay that way until I start loving the stranger. Like I love my youth kids, like I love my new real kid, like I love my wife. My, ki- my kid's starting to smile. He, he's like learning how to smile. And I'm like, it was hard to say actually, I'm starting to tear up. Yesterday, I went to work, and for the first time ever, he looked up at I always give him a hug and a kiss goodbye. And he, he looks up at me, and for the first time ever, he beams this huge smile when I walk up to him. And like, I was like, I don't think I go to work. I stay right here all day. I'm going to cuddle with you all day. You just keep smiling. I'm addicted already. <laughs> you knew my parents. You know what I'm talking about. It's how God sees us. When we delight in the Lord's law, when we delight in his heart, he sees that joy. That's how he feels. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for me. So when I think in those terms of how God feels about us, it just blows my mind. The older I get and the more I understand my sin, the more I understand the opposite of my sin, which is God's heart, the more I love his heart. And so this message could be really heavy, and we are supposed to have weight about our sin. David was so mournful over his sin. David was also the one who would joyfully praise and worship and dance in the streets because the presence of the Lord was coming back to Israel. So much joy over that. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to mourn over our sin, but we are also supposed to have great joy in the opposite of that, which is God's goodness. All right, so our text today, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Court, by the way, is um, the, the word used was Sanhedrin, which would be the, the religious court of the day. That would have been kind of a radical smack in the face to Pharisees and um, anybody who considered themselves very spiritual. They would consider their standing with the Sanhedrin great. You know, oh, I'm so holy. I'm so good with them. Jesus is saying, you'll be subject to the Sanhedrin if your heart is wrong, or if you call someone a fool. They wouldn't have had a problem with this. So he's telling them, you're guilty before the law that you care about so much. You'll also notice in there, your version might have read it, uh, or might have added, without cause. Uh, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister without cause will be subject to judgment. That's because some manuscripts um, say without cause, and others don't. Okay? Ancient manuscripts, mind you. Now, this would concern me if there wasn't clear instructions in Scripture on how to deal with strife and anger. Because the words without cause is a pretty significant difference in my mind. But the whole counsel of God teaches us how to deal with strife and anger. And in fact, that is the joy of this message. The truth is that anger in our hearts condemns us before the heart of God, but Jesus says that we don't have to live that way. He says, you don't have to live with anger. And why is that? Because he's given us a new heart. Like he told the children of Israel he would do. He has given us, he has taken our heart of stone and given us a beating, bleeding heart that is capable of following after the Lord. He has granted that to us. 
We are capable of loving our friends, our family, our strangers, our enemies. And he doesn't stop there. He also gives us a better helper to keep our hearts moving towards the heart of Christ. Are we underusing the best helper ever given to mankind? I'll tell you, I'm underusing the best helper ever given to mankind. And I seek to use him more and more every day. This is a question we have to ask ourselves. When Jesus said, a better helper, what's better than Jesus himself standing with you? Well, he told us. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And it's better because he's going to live in your heart everywhere you go, with you, at every moment, every time, in the dark closets of your room, in the silence when no one's looking, in your car when the person in front of you doesn't know how to drive a stick shift. He's right there. He didn't go anywhere. He's available to you the whole time. The whole time. John 14, 15 through 17, he says, If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I don't have to be angry anymore. My generation popularized woke cancel culture, which is really just another way of saying anger culture. That's what it is. We are permeated by anger culture today. You can tell how much somebody cares about something by how angry they are. Get riled up. Get angry. Post about it. Cancel somebody. Destroy them. Show how wrong they are. Show how right I am by getting angry. If I'm not angry about something, what am I even doing with my life? What am I even doing with my life? You don't even care. It's my generation. We have that answer. We have the exact answer to that question. Jesus didn't come to teach us anger. His last prayer while dying on the cross was that Jesus would forgive, or that the Lord, that God would forgive the one spitting on his bloodied, crucified face. He didn't get angry with Judas, who betrayed him with a kiss. He quietly called his attention to the sin, giving him yet another chance to see the error of his ways. When he asked, would you betray a friend with a kiss? I just struck him dead. I've been like Peter. Pull out the sword, we're going. Let's go to town. He didn't get angry with Peter when he denied him three times. God's word does say, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anger in a believer's heart should be rare, clearly directed by God against the things of God and accomplished uh, in order to accomplish his purpose and never held on to and never resulting in sin. Anger is rare in a Christian's life if done properly because it was rare in Jesus' life. God has given us a way to care about and address truth in love without sinful anger and um, in a way that, uh, that he does that is with that new beating heart and the Holy Spirit to guide it. He put a beating heart in our chests and the Holy Spirit to guide it. He's given us that new life with the ability 
to address these things without anger. He goes on to say, whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. The word used for uh, fool here is actually raka, which we'll put on the screen. Raka, which was used to insult someone's intelligence. Uh, Barclay expounded on the term raka by saying this. Commentators have translated the idea, if you will, behind raka as nitwit, blockhead, numbskull, bonehead, brainless idiot. You can tell how old Barclay is. <laughs> Raka is an almost untranslatable word because it describes a tone of voice more than anything else. Its whole accent is the accent of contempt. It is the word of the one who despises another man with an arrogant contempt. The tone of voice. We're so worried about our actions and we don't realize how ugly we can sound when we're viewing people who we consider less intelligent than ourselves. And Jesus says that attitude is exactly what the law was to address. Because that's not the attitude of God. That has to be ripped out of us. And then he changes direction slightly. He gives a little example. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be, as I skip through my notes on accident, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Jesus, who is God, the worthy one that we got all theatrical about this morning, says that we are to keep our hearts right with a brother or sister before we offer to the Lord. That's how much he values and he considers our reconciliation unto each other as being hand in hand with our reconciliation to him. You can't just go sit in your corner, be right with God, at odds with everybody else in the world, hate the whole world, not want to be in the world, not want to be around the world, not want to witness to the world, not want to be a salt and light to the world, but be right with God and be okay. He's saying this is hand in hand. You're not going to get right with God unless you are also right with your brother or sister. So much so that Jesus even included this in his prayer instructions in Matthew 6, verses 12 through 15. And he says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your offenses. I'd say Jesus takes this super serious. Paul also felt it necessary to make a strong case when he said in 2 Corinthians that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, verses uh, 18 through 20 of ch uh, chapter 5. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us 
all of us, those who believe in Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's us, you and me. Our trespasses are not being counted against us because of Jesus. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So he takes that attitude and hands it to us. All right, this is what I did. This is my example. Now you do it. Therefore, we as ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what he has given us. This is the ministry we are handed. All of this churchy stuff we do is the best. I love fellowship here. I love hanging out with you guys. Um, I get built up in my walk with the Lord by being here. I get encouraged by being here. I spend hours and hours with Mike in an office being encouraged, built up, trained, honed. Through all of the practices we do here, it serves such a great purpose. And God is saying, all of that is great, but you need to be right with your brother or your sister. You need to not have anger in your heart. That has to go. It has to be gone from all of us. If we're hanging on to that, we're hanging on to something that God defeated on the cross with his own sacrifice. Jesus was nailed in. He paved the way for us to have a beating heart. Then he sends us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help guide us and keep us on track. I'm going to have the worship team come up as, I, as I'm about to close here. I prayed this morning in my prayer. I felt very strongly convicted by God to pray specifically about sin and to pray very specifically about releasing the debts that I'm holding over people I care about's heads. I kind of want to clarify that in person because the debts that are in my mind are not actually ones they're aware of. There are people who, um, there are even people who I love still, but I hold things in my heart over their heads. I've got annoyances. I've got anger in my heart towards um, certain individuals that I haven't let go of, that I've been struggling with. And um, this is something that I imagine is not special to me. I imagine that there are others in this room who are feeling the exact kind of anger towards, annoyances towards individuals in their hearts. Maybe they do know about it. Both those got to go. Both those got to go. I'm going to lead us into a, um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to leave it just quiet and open for a few minutes because I feel so refreshed right now. I've kind of got that Holy Spirit high right now, actually. Like, just releasing that. Just releasing that anger, that annoyance. And so I'm, I'm going to pray for us. Whew. And, and, uh, but I, I encourage you guys to take that moment of silence and to go before the Lord, humble yourself, and recognize that God defeated that on the cross, and that you don't have to hang on to that. Use that quiet time to let go of whatever you're hanging on to over somebody else's head. It needs to be gone. Lord, I just pray as you've convicted me, 
And as you promise that you're faithful to forgive, we really do worship you and thank you for that. I just pray that your words and your message would flow through us as a body today, that there would be healing today, that we would be um, taking steps towards the heart of Christ. That's what we want. Again, we, we want that attitude of um, we can forgive anything, still be honest about the truth. We can release the anger in our hearts. We don't have to have the anger anymore. We want to lead by example that we don't have to have anger to be genuine. We don't have to have anger to change other people's hearts or minds or lives or to edify. We, have, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Lord. Lord, as we come to worship you, as we enter a moment of silence, I pray that you would work that in us today.